0: Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Will you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit on this holy night. Come and fill this place, fill each one of us to overflowing, and Lord, speak through me now that my words would be your words, and your grace, and your truth would be spoken, heard, and received deep in our hearts here this evening, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I wonder, what motivates a person? I was recently listening to an interview with Tom Hanks, and he talked a lot about how much of his process in in embodying a character for a movie is to discern the character's motivation. What moves the character to do a certain thing, say a certain thing, in a certain way? It's a good question. What motivates a person? And of course, there are plenty of folks that concern themselves with this sort of thing other than actors. Ad agents on Madison Avenue care a lot about this and even put together focus groups to determine what will motivate people to buy their products. Political campaign directors, They're all about figuring out people's motivations. And they send out pollsters to determine those motivations and to write the platforms and the speeches for their candidates in order to motivate people to pull the lever in the ballot box for their candidate. And if you were, I would suggest, to sort through all that these pollsters and advertisers and even actors Come up with in terms of motivation, I think the list of motivations would distill down to some version or combination of these three fear, hunger, or duty. Fear, hunger, or duty. Now, some would suggest that those motivations don't sound very savory necessarily, but they aren't all bad necessarily because. Some of the greatest accomplishments in human history have been motivated by one or a combination of all three of these motivations, fear of failure, hunger to succeed, duty to obey. These motivations took Omaha Beach. These motivations broke the four-minute mile. These motivations put a man on the moon. But as powerful as these motivations are for moving the human heart and will to act in significant ways, I think we can all agree that none of these motivations produce much pleasure in what's being done. A lot of times when the accomplishment happens or the the thing is finished, then there's a significant letdown rather than elation. So I was driving around doing various errands and I was listening uh, to my classic holiday music channel on Pandora. And uh, Perry Como's version of Hark the Herald Angels Sing came on uh, on my radio or on my whatever it is anymore. My cell phone. And uh, it was nice. Yeah, Perry Como, you know, dulcet tones. It's nice. And then a little bit later... Same song, but with Nat King Cole singing it. Very nice indeed. Nat King Cole. Man, smooth as butter. Beautiful. Even better than Perry because Perry only sang one verse, and Nat King Cole sang two verses. But as I sang along, I thought to myself, I'm pretty sure they're missing a verse. And so when I got home and could pull out my hymnal, sure enough, I confirmed it, and we just sang it. Three verses. They missed out the second verse, which goes like this Christ by highest heaven adorned, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. And here's the line that has always caught my ear Pleased as man with us to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. And in particular, it's that word pleased that really touches me. Was Jesus, the Son of God, pleased to dwell with us? The account of Christ's birth in Luke chapter 2 is probably one of the most well-known passages of Scripture, full stop. Regardless of people's religious background, they know this story in particular. At least they've heard Linus recite it in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And in this account, after Luke records the birth in the stable, he writes of the visit of the angel to the shepherds in the field. And this messenger's message is one of great joy, he says. Literally, he says that. He says, chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I've always read those verses and assumed that the joy is our joy. Because the news is good for us, the people who are receiving the salvation from the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. I never thought that perhaps this news of the birth of Christ would be a joy for the Savior himself, that there would be pleasure in this news for him. I never considered the fact that God, the Son, would be pleased to come. Pleased as man with us to dwell. But then there it is in verse 14. In the song of the multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, as they praise God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is Pleased. And those with whom he is pleased aren't necessarily the angel or the heavenly host or, in this case, even the Savior, who is born in the city of David. He's pleased with mankind, humanity. In fact, some manuscripts of this verse translated as, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill, among or towards Men, towards people, towards us, the ones with whom He is pleased, it's us, humanity. But when we think about the birth of Christ, the incarnation, I think very often we apply the normal human motivations to Jesus in the incarnation, like as he's coming? Why would he leave his home in heaven and take on flesh and dwell with us? Why would he do that? Sure, there's clearly our profound need that must motivate Christ's incarnation. He sees humanity's desperate, sinful state. We are all like sheep, that have gone astray and are in need of saving. But I think the way that we receive His coming to save us is with the human motivations of duty, fear, maybe even hunger, duty to the Father, or even fear of disobedience to the Father. I think we can subconsciously or sometimes consciously assume that Jesus comes to earth begrudgingly out of a sense of obligation to aid us in our pitiable state as sinners. We major on the righteousness of God demanding that sin be vanquished and humanity redeemed, and that is true. But we interpret it through this human motivation of fear. We apply a kind of perfectionism to God that demands this radical move of incarnation because that's the only way this situation can be rectified. And again, that's true. It is the only way that this situation can be rectified. That's the only way this feat of salvation can be achieved. But is this a version of, well, this simply won't do for mankind to continue in this darkness. So, we will bring the light and shine it on them. Even if it takes the only begotten Son of God, humbling Himself, taking on flesh to be born in a stable and laid in a manger. I guess we're going to have to do that. But these kinds of motivations of fear or hunger, or duty, don't produce joy. Certainly there's no pleasure in it. And yet that's what the angel said about this birth. He was pleased to be born. Like a good Chick-fil-A employee, if we were to thank Jesus for his incarnation, thank you, Jesus, for your incarnation. My pleasure, is what he would say. Friends, Jesus, the Son of God, wanted to come. He wanted to come. And He wanted to come for you. And for you. And for you. For all of us. He wanted to come for those with whom He is pleased. What motivates that? It's not fear, it's not hunger. It's not even duty. It's love. Love is what motivates the incarnation, the birth of our Savior. And that love doesn't come from our worthiness of it, but out of the very nature of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus the Son came to earth out of obedience to the Father, but He didn't obey out of fear of failing the Father or out of a hunger to achieve a great victory over sin, but out of the infinite joy that comes from obedience to the One whose instruction comes out of infinite love, and more than that, out of the joy that comes from serving those who are so beloved. Humanity, those with whom he is pleased to dwell. And friends, this doesn't only apply to the incarnation, but it also applies to the ultimate end of the incarnation that is, the Savior's death upon the cross. Without Jesus' birth, there is no death. But without his death, his birth means very little. And Jesus, the incarnate deity, took on flesh and endured the agony of the cross out of the very same motivation, love. Of course, it was not pleasant. (laughs) Of course not but he was pleased to serve his beloved in the only way we could be served. One of my good friends, John Yates, a priest up in Raleigh, was just preaching here in town uh, the other night at a service I attended, and he said this. He said, Why did Jesus endure the shame and agony of the cross? He did this out of obedience to God the Father for sure, but was it just a sense of duty that motivated him? I think we often think of Jesus as a brave soldier sent on a fatal mission, determined, strong, and stoic, but not joyful. But that is not the Jesus of the New Testament. The author of Hebrews puts it well when he writes in Hebrews 12, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the limitations of our humanity, the shame of public ridicule and the agony of the cross because of the joy he found in saving us from sin. Pleased as man with us to dwell And believe it or not, pleased as man for us to die. And friends, when we come to believe that God loves us like this, well, Christmas takes on a greater beauty And it makes sense of why there is so much joy to proclaim. But it also grants us grace to likewise take pleasure and rejoice in being obedient to the one who has loved us this way. And to live like him. And guess what? His commandment is just that, that we love as He has loved us. Motivated not out of fear, not out of hunger, not even out of duty. Motivated by love, being pleased to do it, having joy in the doing. Do you remember those words Jesus said to his disciples on the evening of the Last Supper, the night before he did that perfect act of love and service for mankind? John chapter 15, verses 9 to 14, Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in In my love, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his or her life for his or her friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And so I ask this Christmas, will we hear the angels' good news of great Joy, our joy, yes, and the Savior's joy, all coming from the only motivation that can produce such joy, love. And as those so joyfully loved, will we likewise be pleased to lay down our lives for him and for those he came to save? Pleased as man with us to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Amen.